0: You are listening to CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network, your home for solid Bible teaching and the latest praise and worship music. In just a moment, we'll go live to the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN, for today's service with our special guest. But first, I'd like to invite you to join us in person at the River. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and our Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit the River Christian Fellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. Now, we go live to the River Christian Fellowship for today's service.
1: Pokemon Shadow. We should all know that, right? No. But there's all these uh, rip-off products and stuff they always tell me about when they go visit down there. And obviously, those are fake. Those are bootleg. They're counterfeit. But there are some other things that are not so easy to tell that they're fake like money I mean, money's uh counterfeited a lot but there's a lot of security measures put into it, especially the hundred dollar bill because it you know, it's worth a lot that's the most counterfeited bill but there's uh, all sorts of crazy things they have the, the cheesy one now with the orange big hundred have you seen that? it looks kind of like play money but that has the most security measures there's uh, if you look really closely at Ben Franklin's collar, I guess, or his lapel. There's little America in there all over. You can't see it with the naked eye, I guess. But on a counterfeit bill doesn't have that because it's too small. There's also like the numbers will change colors when you tilt it. And there's probably the one we've all done. We hold it up to the light and you can see his face over there. So there's all these different things to protect counterfeit money or these measures that makes it very hard to make counterfeit money. So you have some things easy to counterfeit. Some things harder. Some things are obvious to counterfeit. Some things are not as obvious. But the best way to detect counterfeit money is not all these little, you know, marker tests and hold up to light tests. It's to just know what real money feels like. Is the number one way to detect a counterfeit bill. When you handle a lot of hundred dollar bills, like I have, no, not really. Uh, When you handle a lot of money, you get the feel for the texture of it, the thickness. Even that paper is, you can't duplicate, only the government has that paper. So the more you handle real money, the easier it is to tell when there's fake money. And So now, ooh, my connection now to Jesus is, there are counterfeit Jesuses, or Jesus, I don't know how you say that. A okay, uh, fake Jesus that the world will try to lie to you about and deceive you. And we have a couple different enemies as Christians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warns Christians about fake Jesuses, even way back in those times, 2,000 years ago. There's people giving different Gospels, different perspectives on Jesus that were not true. He says, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different Gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He's warning them that you might hear some of these different Jesus is, not the one in the Bible who died for our sins and uh, earned our salvation for us. You might hear about a different Jesus that maybe you have to do some extra works for, or maybe a Jesus that never came to the earth or never resurrected. It was all spiritual. There's all these lies even 2,000 years ago about Jesus. And because we as Christians have enemies, today we still hear some lies about Jesus, a lot of deceptions, a lot of lies to, either if we don't know Jesus, to stop us from getting to know him, or once we do, to create doubt in our hearts and to question, am I doing the right thing? Am I following the true God, Jesus? And so people will attempt to deceive you about who Jesus is again. But again, the best way, just like the best way to detect counterfeit money, because it can be hard to tell, is just to know what it feels like. The best way to detect a counterfeit Jesus, so to speak, is to know who the real Jesus is, the Jesus of the Bible, and to know his voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And when you spend time with him and get to know him, you'll know, hey, this Jesus they're talking about doesn't sound like the right Jesus. Yeah, I know the Jesus. I know his voice, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible who died for my sins and earned my salvation. So because we have enemies, we need to abide in Christ, is the language we'll see in the uh, first John that we're going to read tonight. To abide in Christ, to live in Him, to live with Him, to live for Him, to live through Him, to live because of Him, to abide in Him. That's the solution to this problem, that we have enemies who will deceive us about Jesus. Again, the more time we spend with Him, getting to know Him, the easier it is to tell when we're being lied to and we're being deceived. And so, the first enemy that we'll see in our text tonight, in 1 John chapter 2, put it. It's in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we're going to read about a couple different types of enemies who are going to try to deceive you about who Jesus is. And the first enemy is the world. And so let's look in verse 15 through 17. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. As we've been reading through 1 John, this first section of the letter is all about how to know when we are truly Christians, when we know the real Jesus, when we have let Jesus enter under our hearts and letting Him work through us through the Holy Spirit, because there are false teachings about Jesus even back in those times. The number one false teaching that John is addressing in this letter is called Gnosticism, that Jesus was never physically rose from death. He only spiritually did. And he's correcting that false belief. And he says that, "...do not love the world or the things in the world." If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And if you've been here Sunday nights or Wednesday, and you've been going through 1 John, he kind of says over and over, here's different things that you'll see, or that if you're doing, the love of the Father is not in you, that maybe you are not saved. And one of these things, he says, is if you love the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And we've probably heard the Christian cliche to uh, be in the world, but not of the world. I've heard that quite a bit, and sometimes we think, or this was my understanding before I wasn't a Christian, what that meant is that you can't watch rated R movies, because those are worldly, or you can't smoke a cigarette, that's worldly, or you have to only listen to Christian music, because that's a worldly thing. That's not what he's talking about here, that's not what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. It says, if you love the world, the love of your Father is not in him, but... We all know John 3.16 that it says, God so loved the world. So there's a little bit of maybe confusion there. If God loves the world, how come if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in him? But John tells us specifically three things that make up the world. He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things that make up the world. So those three things are what it means to love the world. So first we're going to look at what is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh you could probably most easily define as hedonism, which means the pursuit of pleasure. This is doing whatever you want as long as it makes you feel good. To basically put yourself at the top of your life, to say this makes me feel good, so I'm going to do it, no matter who I hurt, and no matter what problems happen because of it, I am the most important, so I'm going to do what I want because it makes me feel good. Or sometimes we put it this way, that I need to, I just need to be happy. And it doesn't matter who I'm hurting, but I'm going to pursue that because the lust of the flesh. So whenever we talk about the lust of the flesh is the pursuit of pleasure, a lot of times you think of sexual sin, at least I do when you hear the word pleasure, and that's a lot of times what it's referring to, but it's not just sexual sin that is the lust of the flesh. It's anything that gives us pleasure that we pursue that is, we're doing no matter who it hurts, no matter uh, what problems happen because of it. This is one of the biggest problems in our culture. I think this, As I'm studying this, it, all these lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, kind of perfectly describe our culture as we go through it. Uh, so the pursuit of pleasure, no matter who it hurts, this is a, the person leaving their spouse and kids because they're not happy. They're pursuing their own happiness even though it's hurting their spouse and their kids. Yeah, this is Dads leaving their families because I want to do whatever I want. I don't want to be tied down over here. I want to do what I want. I want to pursue my pleasure. And this is alcoholics and drug abusers seeking those things, no matter who it hurts, and putting those things at the top of the world, the lust of the flesh. It's people having sex before marriage, a fornicating, saying this thing is more important to me, it's at the top of my life, does not matter that I'm hurting God because of it? putting yourself and your pleasures above everyone and everything. That is the lust of the flesh. That's the first thing he says is in the world, why we are not to love the things of the world, because those are worldly things. Secondly, he says the lust of the eyes. And the lust of the eyes refers to coveting, a wanting things, money, possessions, physical things, a desiring those items, because we think maybe they'll give us fulfillment is usually what's behind there. There's that emptiness that we have when we don't know Jesus and we're pursuing worldly things. And we think, maybe if I have more money, maybe if I have more whatever, that's going to fill my heart and bring me happiness. And that's the lust of the eyes. And the third thing of the world is the pride of life. Ooh, this is the big one. This is the one that tells you it's okay to do these other things if you have the pride of life. And this means that you are the number one person that you think much more about yourself than you really are. It's when people put themselves in the position of God. That God needs to be at the top of our life. Jesus needs to be at the top of our life. If anything else is, it's really, in a way, just ourselves at the top. Because we're pursuing whatever we want to make us feel better. So when we are at the top of our lives, when we are the ultimate authority in our lives, when we do just the things that make us feel good, we have the pride of life. And it's almost, in a way, I don't think people put it like this, but it's almost becoming your own God. And that's really behind why people, a lot of times, don't turn to God, because they're already gods in their own life. Everything they do is for their pleasure, for their benefit, to fulfill their lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And why do I need a God? Because I'm pretty great. And that's the pride of life, thinking that you are the top of your life. And those are the things of the world. And that is how we can be deceived into thinking that we don't need God, that we don't need Jesus. Now these are always our enemies. We have three enemies. The world, our flesh, and Satan. And Satan uses these things. These are always the three ways that he tempts people. It's how he tempted Adam and Eve in the original sin. It's how he tempted Jesus when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness. And it's how he tempts you and me and everybody. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he always uses these things because they work. They're very successful. Again, this is how humanity fell in the first place. When God created everything to be perfectly good without sin, these are the temptations that Adam and Eve fell under and caused them to sin. And so they failed these temptations, but Jesus passed these temptations. He never gave into them. Jesus was tempted but never sinned. He was tempted in these same ways, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But he never gave into it, even though we all have, I have, you have. Jesus never did, because he is without sin. Again, as, I'm, as I was studying these and putting all this together, it sounds, this is what our culture values, is these things. We're told all the time, you do whatever you want. You have to be happy with your life. It doesn't matter who you hurt, really, because it's your life. You need to be happy. Again, we that's kind of the excuse when people are abandoning their families, when they're hurting people. I need to be happy. Yeah, I'm at the top of the life. I am in God's position. Especially with the message that's taught to our young men today. I, this is one of the biggest things that God's put on my heart is seeing, especially I'm a teacher, teaching high school kids, and I see so many of these kids that have potential and that have the ability to you know do something in the world but instead they succumb to the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and they end up doing nothing it, not ever leaving the house living with their parents into their 20s so that they can consume all they want the lust of the flesh they drink as much beer as possible watch as much porn as possible take advantage of as many women as possible these are the lusts of the flesh and that's encouraged that's a lot of the ways uh, that it's almost like our culture sees manhood as being, and these teenage boys kind of get sucked into that, not knowing what it means to be a man. And they pursue the lust of the flesh, but also the lust of the eyes. Well, I'm not going to really do anything that matters. I'm not, you know, it's working part-time, so living with my mom or five other guys, so I can work part-time, and, but rent is only $20 a month, so that I can pursue the lust of the eyes. So I can get those rims for my car, instead of... Doing anything that 's important is so I can get the three hundred dollar jeans or whatever I mean all these things that consume the money and help them pursue you no know, people in these situations, but all of us really to tempt us into the lust of the flesh or the eyes and then the pride of life i don 't care about it. this is just how it is, and I see that all the time. It seems like probably almost half the guys that graduate that 's what they end up doing and because they're perfectly capable and they choose to fall into these traps. But it's not just teenage boys. I mean, it's like all of us. But I just see that a lot with them and giving in to those temptations. So when you choose to do those things, the things of the world, instead of following Jesus, it's because at that time those things are more important to you than God is. Even as Christians, we pursue those things and get sucked into those things and give in to those temptations. It's, it's like committing adultery. When you're com- committing adultery, you can't say, I love my spouse, but I'm also doing this with somebody else. And when you're pursuing the, the temptations of the world and choosing those things over what God tells you, in that moment, you're choosing that over God. And to be able to do that, you have to have that pride of life that says, I don't care that I'm hurting God. I don't care that God has said not to do these things. I'm going to choose to do those things. So what we need to do is what it says in verse 17. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And we need to remember when we are abiding in Jesus, all that he has done for us, all the grace that he's put on our lives, we don't deserve any of this. And that should create a thankfulness in us as we abide in Jesus to not want to hurt him like that, to choose those lusts and that pride over him. That's really the only thing that we have to overcome these temptations. And what Jesus did to overcome those temptations was to remember what his father had said in the Old Testament, to quote those to Satan and to remember, this is what my father has commanded. That's what Jesus did to resist those things. That's what we can do to resist those things. And it says that the world is passing away and the lust of it. If those things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things have... There's nothing that comes of those eternally. The thing we need to build our life on at the bottom of our life as the foundation and the top of our lives is Jesus. Because Jesus is eternal. All those other things that we can get sucked up in where people we believe those deceptions, they don't last. They're passing away. And I think it's obvious, but we don't always remember that. And so the world is going to lie to you and it's going to tell you that these things are okay. And we see that all the time. Secondly... Our enemy is people who lie about who Jesus is, who tell you Jesus isn't who he claimed to be in the Bible. And in verses 18 through 23, that's who John is talking about. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went doubt that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to, to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so John is writing to these Christians, warning them about people who are going to come and lie to you about Jesus. People who don't have the correct understanding of Jesus biblically. Uh, he, he compares them to Antichrist. He says, you know the Antichrist is going to come during you know, the end times. But these aren't the Antichrist, but there are people who are antichrist who are against Christ, who are teaching about a false Christ. And these people are already here. And he says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And so these are even people that maybe claim to be Christians. And they say that they're teaching about the real Jesus. But what they're doing is not. They're, against, they're teaching a fake Jesus. But he also says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know and know lies of the truth. John says that we have an anointing from the Holy One, the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus into our lives, when we accept that He lived a perfect life for us and died to pay for our sins, and we accept that and accept Jesus for who He truly is as God, that we have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. He says, I'm not writing these things because you don't know the truth. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, you know the truth. He says, he's writing because you do know the truth. And to remind you, this is what the truth is. And there are a lot of ways people lie about Jesus. I found nine of them. So we're going to talk about the ways that people lie about Jesus today. The most common lies. So number one lie that people tell about Jesus is that he never existed. It's it's all a myth. It was all made up uh, Jesus never came to the earth. Not a lot of people say this because there is historical verification that there was a person named Jesus in the area of Galilee at the time, teaching and preaching, and was crucified in the writings of Josephus. But still, people will say that Jesus never even existed whatsoever. It was all made up, or it's some like, reinterpretation of whatever mythological religions. or something. You hear some of those things, not a lot of times, but some people will claim that. And secondly, people lie about Jesus saying that He was only a spirit. And he was a spiritual being. Uh, Mormons say that, or that He never rose physically, but only spiritually. Uh, that's the belief of Gnosticism, which John is teaching against, that everything physical is bad is this belief, and everything spiritual is good. So if Jesus rose physically, that's not good, because our goal is to get rid of physical things. See, that's kind of the lie that people look at it that way. So they'll say, Jesus never rose physically. He only rose spiritually, or it's just in their minds, some sort of hallucination or something like that. That is, that Jesus was only a spirit, or that he rose spiritually. Thirdly, people lie about Jesus saying that he is a created being. And Jehovah's Witnesses are the primary proponents of this, that Jesus is not God from eternity past, but he was created by God the Father, and He's not God, really. That He's a created being. Uh, they get this idea from their interpretation of Colossians one fifteen, that says that He's the firstborn of all creation. In Revelation 3.14, where it says, Jesus is the beginning of all creation. And they use those verses and twist them to say that Jesus was not creator God, but He was created being from the Father, and He's subordinate to Him. A fourth, also Jehovah's Witnesses, will say that Jesus is an angel. He's really Michael, the archangel. Uh, They're the same thing. They're creative beings and not truly God. A fifth lie about Jesus is that he's the same as the Father. Uh, This is called modalism. It's the official belief of the United Pentecostal Church that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not one God and three persons, but those are just the different forms that God took throughout time. That in the Old Testament, it was God the Father. And then the New Testament, it was God the Son, Jesus. And now it's God the Holy Spirit. And it's just different forms. They don't all coexist at one time. That's that lie. That they're only one at a time, and they just sort of change forms. Not three, one God in three persons, uh, like the Bible teaches. A sixth lie about Jesus is that Jesus was just a prophet. This is... Uh, Islam teaches this, and Baha'i, I'm not sure he you pronounce that, I should look up, but uh, those beliefs believe that Jesus was just a prophet. Yeah, he was a prophet from God, but he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't God the Son. He didn't die for people's sins. He just came and spoke about God. And not even that, but that he wasn't even the greatest prophet. There's better prophets after him, like Muhammad, uh, is what Muslims say. And I, I find it very interesting that when you're looking up these lines about Jesus and seeing the different religions, every religion has a stance on Jesus. And they say this is what we believe about Jesus, and Jesus is usually a part of other religions. Like he's in Islam, uh, and like Buddhists have an official stance on Jesus, and so do you know Hindus. And I find that amazing because we don't, as Christians, have like an We don't incorporate Muhammad into our beliefs or any of the other religious figures that the false religions even have Jesus in there somehow, because even the demons know who Jesus is, we see in the Old Testament. And so the fact that Jesus is in some way connected to other religions tells us that they're trying to get people to believe lies about him, and that he's not God. But he is important, they're not going to deny him outright, but they're not going to say that he's God. A seventh lie people say about Jesus is that he became a God, this is what the Mormons believe about Jesus. That Jesus was kind of the perfect example of how people can become a God. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what everyone else can do through enough obedience. That's what Mormons teach about Jesus. Uh, number eight, the eighth lie that people tell about Jesus is that he never resurrected. That Jesus did exist, he did teach, he was crucified, but the resurrection was made up. That uh, it was something that the early church. I don't know, made up to continue together, or whatever, but that he stayed dead. A lot of people still believe that, that Jesus never resurrected, that he's still dead. Well, that doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons. People don't follow dead people. When someone loses the election, people stop following them. People don't worship losers. So if Jesus was still dead, you know, Christianity you can't explain Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus. Because there are these historical facts that. There was a man named Jesus who was crucified. We read about that from outside the Bible. We know his body was never found. Is it a test to that in the New Testament? If the whoever at the time wanted to prove that Jesus still died, someone had the body. And they could have produced that and said, No, he's dead, here's the body right here. So his body was never found, was never accounted for. We also see the disciples having an amazing transformation, a historical fact. It Christianity would not be here unless the disciples changed from kind of... I mean, they weren't the greatest guys when Jesus was around. They were learning, and especially we hear about Peter and his failures and his denying of Christ. And the disciples weren't really all that great when Jesus... Were, I mean, they were, but not in the sense they became after Jesus died and resurrected. And then they knew that, oh, we, this is God right here, and we're worshiping him. And Christianity explodes after the resurrection of Jesus. Without Jesus' resurrection, none of this makes any sense at all, that Christianity is the biggest religion that's ever been on this earth. If Jesus is still dead, if Jesus never resurrected, there has to be another explanation for this, and there isn't. And any other explanation is harder to believe than that Jesus resurrected. Like, it was some sort of conspiracy. The hundreds of people were lying about it and never got out, and that just doesn't happen. So people still, though, will lie and say Jesus never actually resurrected, but there's no other historical, or there's no other explanation for what happened with Christianity. And number nine, this is probably the biggest lie about Jesus that we hear today, is Jesus was a good teacher. And that's it. If that, Jesus, he was, yeah, what he said was good, he taught about love, and we should follow his principles, but that's all he was. He was a good teacher. He's not God. He doesn't pay for anyone's sins. He's just a good teacher. Most people who don't know Jesus and are not from some other religion, that's generally the position that they hold about him, that he was just a good teacher. You know, the Bible is the only direct evidence of anything Jesus said. So what we have to go on is the Bible. And going off of what Jesus taught, there's no way that you can claim Jesus is just a good teacher. You might have heard the liar, lunatic, or lord dilemma. if Jesus is just a good teacher, if he's not God, then he's a liar. Number one, that he is telling the biggest lie in the history of the world, claiming to be God and claiming to be sent here to die for our sins, and saying all these things. If Jesus is not God, he's the biggest liar who ever lived, which makes him not a good teacher. That's a false teacher. Or maybe Jesus is a lunatic, that he was insane and really thought that he was the son of God, but it wasn't true. But in that case, Jesus is not a good teacher. He's crazy. And that doesn't fit with what we know about him and what he taught the only choice that you can have for Jesus is that He is Lord. That's the only thing that makes sense with what He taught. You cannot claim Jesus is just a good teacher because if He is not God, He's either lying or He's crazy. And that's not a good teacher. So people who hold that position and lie about Jesus are deceived. And that's the whole point, to be deceived about who Jesus is. And the big lie here, I mean, we could go into a whole bunch of depths discussing where these beliefs come from and why they're not true and all that, but, All these lies are deceptions from our enemies to try to get people to believe Jesus is not God. Whatever lie people believe about Jesus out of those nine things, it all is to say Jesus is not God. Either to keep you from turning to Him and saying, you are my God, you are my Savior, you died for my sins, and you are fully man but fully God and can forgive my sins. Those lies keep people from doing that or they keep people continuing in whatever false beliefs They have. That's the whole purpose of all these lies, is to get people to not believe that Jesus is God. And if you don't believe that, there's a whole bunch of problems that come from that. But uh, people will say that Jesus never claimed to be God, the New Testament never calls Jesus God, and they'll use that evidence to back up their lies. But that's not true. Over and over, repeatedly, Jesus claims to be God. That's why he was murdered. They didn't murder him for healing people and uh, loving people. They murdered him because he claimed to be God. And over and over we see that. So just some Bible verses just to show you that Jesus claimed to be God. The New Testament claims Jesus is God. Uh, John chapter 1 is a great one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then later it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as, the, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It pretty clearly says that Jesus is God. But then you have, that's the verse Jehovah's Witnesses say, no, there's the word, he was a God in there. And they go through this whole thing to try to trick people that there really should be the word a in there, which isn't true. Hey, right there, claim, to claim that Jesus is God. John chapter 5 says, For this cause, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus was the first person to say, God the Father is my Father. Like we say today as Christians, we can pray to God the Father. Before that, God was the Father of the Israelite nation. But no one said, God is my Father, until Jesus. And when Jesus said that, they knew what he was saying is that I am God. That's why they tried to kill him. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they were debating with Jesus about... uh, different things and Jesus was saying that he'd met Abraham and he was talking about Abraham they said well you're barely 30 years old how did you know Abraham before Abraham was I am I am is the translation of God's name Yahweh and very clearly Jesus is saying that he's God in that again people try to twist these and say well that wasn't what he was saying but it's very obvious and Jesus before Abraham was I am the verb tenses don't match up for a reason Because I am is Jesus saying God, because that's God's name. I am who I am. Uh, In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. The Jews, the ones who are trying to persecute him, the Pharisees, knew Jesus was claiming to be God. That's why they tried to kill him. And we see over and over, John chapter 20, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas says that after seeing Jesus' nail-scarred hands, and he bows down and worships him, It calls Jesus God. And if Jesus says, I do what the Father tells me, and no one is worthy of worship except for God, but Jesus accepts that worship. And every time someone worships him, he accepts it. If Jesus was not God, but he perfectly followed the will of his father, he would not accept people's worship. You would say, um, who was this is just coming to mind? Was it Paul or someone saying that I'm not God and you shouldn't be worshiping me? Yeah, I didn't that just telling me. Dave verifies it, yep. So people know if I'm not God, you can't be worshiping me. Jesus always accepted people's worship because he is God. Uh Colossians 2.9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, so saying he is equal with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And clearly over and over, the New Testament and Jesus says Jesus is God. There's even more verses, but I think you get the point. And when people... The world is trying to deceive you that Jesus is not God so that people don't turn to him as God, so their sins aren't forgiven. So at that point, why does that matter that Jesus is God? If Jesus is not God, that determines your view on God. So what are your choices if Jesus is not your God? Well, there's four basic uh, categories of religion or belief about God that are what people believe when Jesus is not God. Now, the thing these all have in common is that there's no hope in any of them because essentially your hope is in yourself and you're the reason why you're hopeless. So if your hope is yourself and you're the hopeless one, it doesn't give you any hope. Yo, dog, I heard you like being hopeless, so I put some hopelessness in your hopelessness so you could feel hopeless when you feel hopeless. You know what I'm talking about? Exhibit? If you don't, whatever. Uh, so all other views on God or worldviews about God without Jesus is hopeless there's no hope in any of that. So, if Jesus is not God, what are your choices? Number one, you could be an atheist. Like I used to be. Don't even do that. Don't. It's the worst. Don't even. Well, really, it's the same as all the other ones. And having, you know, not having any belief in God whatsoever. That this is all there is. And even atheists know that that's meaningless, and that we're some sort of coincidence. That there's no meaning to anything. I mean, there's all these statistics that, can sh- that show uh, people have researched, like what are the probabilities of life forming as it is right now without a God? Well, really it's zero. Life forming without life already doesn't make any sense. Like spontaneous generation. But the world being how it is right now, they compare the probability of that to uh, if you would just take a bunch of paint and throw it on the wall. It's more likely that that paint becomes the Mona Lisa than that life becomes how it is now without God. Or if you uh, throw a load of laundry in the dryer, it's more likely that those clothes will come out perfectly folded just by coincidence than that all of this life is a coincidence. And atheists like I did tend to take this intellectual superiority about it that, uh, you know, believing God is just a crutch and I'm so much smarter because I can see through that. And I don't believe in, you know, these things that don't have facts. Well, you're believing that life came out of nothing. That's a pretty big belief. They have no evidence whatsoever that life can form without life, and so being atheist, even atheists have to admit. And you see this in some of the big atheists, like Richard Dawkins, admitting that there is really no hope, and they claim that that's their hope—that there is no hope—that the world is bleak and empty, and that's what we build our lives on. Okay, great. So, yeah, what? <laughs> that's your that's. I mean, we could go all into, athe- like I said I uh, used to be an atheist till a couple years ago, listening to Terry Man, and answer, I was talking to Adrian the other day, uh, about to every man and answer I would listen to on the way back from work when I didn't know Jesus, and just to laugh at it, like making fun and listen to what they believe, and that kind of thing. But what happened was, once in a while, I'd be like, uh, there's nothing I can make fun of about that." and I'd get scared, and I would change the station. like I don't want to hear this because. I'm starting to you know, soften my heart to it. And that was a big you know, part of me becoming a Christian was listening to every man and answer in a way to make fun of it, but it would soften my heart and other things happen too, but that's one of the things that helped me to realize there is no hope. And this isn't, again, it's this pride of life uh, that we think we're so great and especially atheists, not all of them, but me, and I think a lot of them look down on people who worship a God like it's a crutch, but... If everyone worships something, even if you're an atheist, if worship is a crutch, then what's yours? It's probably sex, porn, drugs, money, work. Those things are all things people worship too. So if Jesus is not God, atheism is one of your choices, but there's no hope. Another choice you have is to be a deist. And this is the idea that there is a God, but he doesn't really care about anything. He created the earth and left. He's like a dad who abandoned his kids and never calls or writes anything. And uh, I believe that there's a God out there, but he doesn't interact in my life. And this is really what a lot of people uh, believe, even who go to you know Christian churches. It's called moralistic, therapeutic deism. Their belief in God is that you should do your best, try your hardest, and you'll feel better about yourself, but God isn't really involved in my life. And that God is distant. And that's what deism is. But again, there's no hope in that. If God isn't involved in your life, your hope is in yourself, and you're the reason why you're hopeless. Uh, the third one is called panentheism. Yeah, this is the belief that God is in everything. Like He's kind of like the force. There's a light side and a dark side, and it's in everything and through everything. And a lot of people, spiritual people, believe in this, that uh, there's God within me, and through meditation, or Yoga or whatever, I can connect with that God, that life force that's within me. But if God is the thing within you, again, your hope is yourself. That doesn't help anyone that I have to find God within myself. Yeah, I'm the problem. Uh, but that's panentheism. A lot of people believe in that. People who say you know, they're spiritual, uh, that God is in everything. Uh, the fourth worldview you can have if Jesus is not God is you can be a theist. Hey, this is well Christians fall under this category, but it's a little different. Hey, a theist is someone who believes in a God, even a God who's involved in people, but the difference is that God gives no hope. Hey, all these other worldviews have no hope because your hope is in yourself. So theism is you know, all the other religions, Islam, even Judaism, hey, where the hope is in yourself, there is no saviour, you are your savior. And you're the one who needs to be saved. So how can you save yourself? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But what theism leads to is religion. The rituals that people do to please God or to gain His favor or to come closer to God. Because if you don't believe in Jesus as God, that's all you can hope to do is hope to please God through your actions. So whenever you have religion, religion is a man-made thing that people did to try to please God. And whenever you have that, you have either pride or despair. Either people say, no, I think God is pretty pleased with me. Because I do the rituals, I you know, I pray five times a day toward Mecca or I wear a certain hat when I go into the building or I wear certain underwear. And these things are what bring people take pride in that. Well, I think God is pretty happy with me because I do those things. Okay, so religion leads to that. And then you look down on people who don't do those things. God must not be happy with you. You need to be doing these things. Then the other side of that is despair, where people, God is never going to be happy with me. I don't follow these rituals, I don't do all those things that I see, you know, the varsity team doing. I'm on the J V or I'm sitting on the bench and there's no hope. It, that uh, it's either pride or despair when you fall into a man-made religion worshiping other gods besides Jesus. And so the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the only worldview that gives any hope because He is the Savior. All these other worldviews, again, it's all about yourself. And basically, you are your own God. You are your own Savior. Christianity is the only thing that's any different. It's not a religion. It's following Jesus. It's believing that God loves us so much that He left heaven and came to this earth to be born as a baby in a barn and to be made fun of and spit upon and murdered That God loves us so much that He would do that. He doesn't just leave it up to us. He's not some absentee father leaving it up to people. Or He's not some life force living within us that we have to tap into. Or He's not some God out there that you have to do things to please. He already loves us, which is why He came to the earth to live a perfect life so that our sins could be forgiven. Because He knows we cannot save ourselves. We are the problem. And it's only Jesus that gives Any hope whatsoever, because in every other worldview, you are your hope. Good luck with that, because you're hopeless. So the the lie is that Jesus is not God. And you hear that over and over and over, but that's because we have enemies as Christians. Either people want us to believe that Jesus is not God so we don't turn to Him, or that Jesus is not God so we turn away and doubt ourselves and not worship Him as we should, because He is God and because He loves us. But John uh, gives the answer to all these problems with all these enemies we have that are trying to deceive us. In verses 24-27, through 27, John tells people that when we abide in Christ, we're not going to fall to our enemies. In verse, starting in verse 24, it says, and Therefore let that abide in you, what you, have, what you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son, And in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. So, the way to know when people are lying about Jesus, or when they're deceiving us, is just like the way that you know what is counterfeit money by knowing what real money feels like, knowing who the real Jesus is, knowing His voice, abiding in Him through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When John says, let that abide in you what you heard from the beginning, the gospel message that was preached from the beginning, what's the beginning? could be several beginnings, but the message is that Jesus is God who came to live a perfect life for us and to die for our sins. Remember that. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you remember that, then you're living in the Son. Jesus is living in you. that He is the vine and we're the branches. And Without a vine, branches die. And so to abide in Jesus means to live in Him and through Him and He lives in you. It's not just a great early 2000s Christians rock band, right? Abide. Woo! Shout out to Abide. Uh, Joe was in that band. Uh, So I think of you when I hear abide. But uh, abiding in Jesus is how we know who the real Jesus is, so we're not going to be deceived. Because this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life. Again, there's no other worldview that promises that. There's other religions that say, here's how you can earn eternal life. It's not a promise. It's maybe you'll get there if you follow the rituals and do the rules and live a good enough life, maybe you'll be good enough for eternal life. But Christianity promises when we have given our sins to Jesus, when we accept His payment for our sins, we are guaranteed eternal life. It says elsewhere in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is like the down payment on eternal life. He's the guarantee of our eternal life. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and transform us, that guarantees eternal life. We are promised that. We cannot lose that. It's not like other religions where we have to do this thing and that thing and hopefully we'll be good enough. But who knows? There's no hope in that. But we have the hope that we know we have eternal life through Jesus because of what He did and because He loved us first. So we do try to please Jesus as Christians by being obedient, but not so that He will love us, but because He already does, because He already died for us and we're appreciative. And he says, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. I'm telling you about this because people are going to try to lie to you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. He's saying you don't need anyone to teach you this. You need to remember who Jesus is. You need to remember what he did for us, and that he sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper that is going to live in us and teach us about who Jesus is. We just need to remember that. We need to live in light of God's grace to us and because He's loved us so much. And that's the only thing that makes sense. All those other lies, there's all sorts of holes in them and people can try to poke holes in Christianity and say, you know, this thing and that thing is what people do to try to say that Jesus is not God. But none of those things hold up. Jesus is God. That is the only explanation for what has happened in the world. So, according to John, what are you supposed to do? In verse 24, he says, Abide in Christ uh, and remember what you learned from the beginning. So live with Jesus. Let Jesus live in you. Remember the gospel truth that Jesus died for our sins not because we're great but because He's great. Where are you to do? In verse 26, he says, These things I've written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. When people are trying to tempt you with the pride of life, with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, when you're tempted to pursue things above Jesus that you know He said is sinful, when you're pursuing those things, we need to remember who Jesus is and abide in Him and let His grace take over us uh, and not fall into those deceptions. Deceptions. So how are we to do that? Verse 27, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and reading the Bible and praying. reading the Bible and praying is our meat and potatoes as Christians, is that's how we hear from God, that's how God hears from us. And that's how we know Jesus' voice, by talking to Him, by reading about Him. And those things will help us to remember the grace that was upon us, the Holy Spirit anointing us and living in us, so that we don't fall into those temptations, that we don't uh, give in to those lies, that we don't believe those lies. Because again, the purpose is to keep people from knowing who Jesus truly is and giving their lives to Him, or to keep us as Christians in doubt about our salvation. So instead of rejoicing in our salvation and being thankful to God for all that He's done for us, when we believe these lies, then we think we have to earn His love, that we have to follow these rituals to please Him. But that is not the gospel. If you want to do that, find some other religion. That's not what Christianity is. And those religions are hopeless. Christianity has the hope is the world doesn't want you to know the truth because the world is our enemy. And the world wants us to live in our sins, to pursue whatever we want in order to be supposedly happy, to not turn to Jesus. Because the Bible says that the God of this world, figuratively, is Satan. He's not really the God. God is the God of this world. But in a sense, the ruler, the predominant philosophy is that of Satan. It lies, keeping us away from Jesus. And so if we know Jesus, we need to abide, walk, live in and with Him so we don't become prey to our enemies, so we don't fall to them, and we don't believe these deceptions. So remember what Jesus has done for us. Let His grace live through you through the work of the Holy Spirit and not believe these lies and fall into these temptations. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that You and You alone are God, yeah, that You give us hope. That You are the only thing that is hopeful in this world. Because You've done all the work, Lord Jesus. You lived a perfect life when I failed in so many ways. And we've all failed. And You did that just because You love us. Jesus, I am thankful that You died for me to forgive me of my sins. Because I need a Savior. We all need a Savior. We've all given in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We've all chosen sin over You, Lord God. But thank you for your perfect sacrifice, for your forgiveness of my sins and for your righteousness. And then for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, for not leaving us without a helper, Jesus, but you left us with your Holy Spirit to live in us and guide us. And I just pray for everyone here that we would recognize the deceptions about you, Jesus, that we would know your voice, that we would know who you really are so we don't believe in these lies and lose the hope you've given us. So we pray for these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship. Or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, And tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.